Welcome everyone, welcome back to Shelter Island, the podcast, the podcast where we shoot the shit and compare the lives of a Brits and a Yankee. And for this week, we have a very, very special guest and arguably the coolest guy ever. But first and foremost, we'll go straight to you, Imo, a <laughs> friend from across the pond. How are we doing this week, mate? Oh, uh, we're doing fucking great this week. I'm very excited for this episode. It, it feels like we just recorded yesterday. Absolutely. All, 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 <laughs> um, but this week we are joined by uh, the best Irish man on the planet, Damien Kivlahan. Damien. Oh, that's, that's a brave statement up. there, Mason. <laughs> good to see you, boys. How are you? How are you? Yeah, very good, mate. Very good. It's been a long time. It has been too long. It has been too long. We've been saying we've got to meet up since camp ended. And I'm pretty sure that was about four years now, Mason. And we still have a <laughs> so can someone explain to me why that is? And do not blame COVID-19. Do not blame COVID-19. <laughs> you can still, well, it's, it's, are still working. It, it's a little hard for me to just kind of pop over and meet you. Can't, well, you can't, can't really come over for drinks because you were in London. You were in London there. And you kept saying, oh, I'm going to come there and for Paddy's Day. I'm coming there, and every year we get texts from you, Jack. We're coming over for Paddy's Day, and I'm still fucking waiting for you to show up, man. Still waiting for you to show up. <laughs> <laughs> On this episode, we'll cast our minds back. We always do. And uh, we met Damien at camp. Of course, you did. It's a Shelter Island podcast. We always talk about camp on this one. And we want to reminisce on some memories. And I think, Damien, you might have forgotten some, and we might have forgotten some too. So for you, what was your highlights of camp? What would you say the standout memory was? That's a very, very hard question. I knew you were going to ask that question, Mason, and I I, I thought about it, and I really don't have an answer for it. Because (laughs) it is just, the whole experience was just, it was unlike anything else I've ever experienced in my life, you know, and I've done a lot of shit over the years before that. Like I was 27 years old when I went to camp and um, I've never experienced anything like it. Like what I always say to people is it takes, it takes a lot for someone to, you know, go fly off to a foreign country and work and make, you know, not much money and they leave their comfort zone, you know. So when you go over there, you meet a lot of like-minded people, people that are like you. You know, and it's just it's just the most wonderful experience in the world. I, I really, really have to say that. Yeah, and it was, of course, a little different for you because uh, obviously me and Mason dealt with kids and we lived with little kids and whatever, but you were not a counselor, right? And you just kind of worked in the theater doing set design and stuff. So, like, how is, how is that, like, not really having to deal with kids 24-7? Well, it was uh, pretty fucking amazing. If you uh, likely, you know, because I seen I seen some of the faces of the counselors walking around, man. They look like they were done. They were done. Now, in it, saying it that, was it, work. It, it, yeah, I'd say it was. I'd say it was. I seen some of them kids, man, backflipping. It's like they never ran out of energy. Uh, right. <laughs> um, it was good, you know. But the, the 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 bad thing about that for me was I had to do the lights for Chippenaw and Silver Lake, so there was right. a. You know, there was a shitload of work involved in that. And the problem with that theater as well, because I was doing lights, I needed to set the lights up on the stage. And it was an open theater, so I could never do it during the day. So I had to wait until all the kids went to sleep, all the counselors went to sleep. And that's when I would go into the theater and work about five in oh, the morning shit. just to get my job done. Yeah. <laughs> so, were, so, were you, so were you like nocturnal then? Did you just like go to sleep during the day when everyone was doing the activities? No, no, I still had to be there during the day, man. I still had to take lessons and stuff and show the kids the lights. <laughs> Now, this wasn't every night, and it, it wasn't too bad because there was always this little raccoon family that kept coming into the theatre and keeping me company. <laughs> if, if keeping you company was hissing at you all the time, you know, and trying to steal your... Did you give it a name? I didn't. Well, I didn't give it a name. Someone else gave it a name, but like most things at camp, I can't remember what they are. <laughs> <laughs> so then my, my question is, how did you actually end up at camp? So I know obviously Mason told his story of where he just sort of went up to Camp America and he tried just interviewing. And obviously I was a camper forever. Um, but someone who's older and has experience doing other things, like what sort of gravitated you to actually be in the middle of the woods in Catskills, New York? Yeah, it is a random one, isn't it? Um, it's it's one of the things for me ever since I was a kid. I think it might be because, uh, you know, TV shows, we're always watching Cartoon Network and things when we were kids and the Disney Channel. Things are very Americanized on TV here. And it was always a dream of mine to go to America, you know, to go to the United States of America. And it always seemed really, really far out of reach. 
And um, it was only, I think I was, I was about 27 years old. I was uh, working on, I think it was season seven, Game of Thrones. And we were on the set and it was with a guy that I've been working with for years. His name is Fergus McNutley, but I've never actually spoken to him. Do you know Fergus, Jack? I do, yeah. He he was there my yeah, first yeah. summer at camp, so I, I know him, yeah. He's a legend. <laughs> yeah, he, he was there a long time before me, but I'd never really spoken to him. And uh, we were sitting talking, but there wasn't much going on on set, just a few fires. And uh, he started talking about America and New York and going to Boston and going to all these uni frat parties and stuff like that. And eventually I went, Fergus, hang the fuck on. How did you do this, man? How, how did you go to America? You know, how how did you manage this, especially being so young with that much money and all? And he just said, chipping off. I said, sorry? And he said, chipping off. I said, man, do you have a stutter? Does that mean you can read minds? What the fuck is chipping off? <laughs> and <laughs> I swear, I don't know what the hell is like a made up word. And uh, but then he spent the next two days talking about chipping off, man. And the more he talked and the more he talked, I went, no, I need to do this. I need to do this. And the next day, that's when he put me in touch with Biggie. And it was really late in the year as well. I think it was like maybe a month and a half before camp actually started. So we had little time to get it organized, you know. It was actually on St. Paddy's Day. I did my interview, Jack. You know that day you keep saying you're coming for it, but you never do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. like, you mentioned, like you mentioned earlier, everyone kind of going to camp, it's all new. It's a new experience, flying away on their own. But it was slightly different for you. You went away with your girlfriend, Aoife, a lovely, lovely girl. Um, what was it like? What was it like you both going there together and experiencing that? Well, it, you know, it obviously it had a, its highs and lows. You know, we obviously when Fergus told me about that, I went to Aoife. She was getting a bit, she was a bit sick of working the same job in Belfast. She wanted to go to Australia. I said, well, why don't we meet somewhere in the middle? I've always wanted to go to America. There's this camp. Would you be up for doing it? And she said the same thing I said to Jack when he mentioned California. She's like, fucking yes, let's do it. So we organized it and we got it. But then we got separated on the separate camps, which we knew what was going to happen anyway. Um, so she was a Silver Lake general counselor. I was a Chippenaw specialist or whatever, whatever you call it. And uh, so we got separated. We didn't actually see each other that much. But when we did see each other, it was amazing. Like because- I, I, I remember the, the first time I met you was at, also Skinner's Falls, but it was when, um, because I had, because I was a general counselor at the time, I had every day off with Aoife. Um, so we would go to Monticello and we would go camping and whatever together. So we were kind of tight. Um, and then there was one day where you kind of switched your off day. So you, you switched yeah. it to be on a Thursday with us. And we Thursday, all went, to, yeah, I remember it well. So we all went to Skinner's Falls and it was electric and that was like the first time i met you and all of a sudden like we were tight like that like the, yeah. the only thing i remember is all the guys just lined up and we just took like a like a fat ass pick like in the water oh <laughs> uh, that's right man and if you remember my ass was four stone heavier back then as well so that must have been a serious ass pick man people used to think i was beyonce on the fucking street man <laughs> you mentioned skin is full there damien and on this podcast, you always go on about Monticello, which is, of course, this rowdy old town. And I'm sure we'll get on some Monticello memories in a moment. But yeah. Skinner's Falls, it was it was a bit different from a Monticello. It was a, it was a whole day, a way to spend your day off. Do you miss them times? Yes, I do. I do. I'm glad you asked that, Mason, because I do miss those times. There was something about Skinner's Falls that was just, it's unlike an experience. As you know, being from over here, being from England and Ireland, we don't really have anywhere like that. The weather's not as good. It's always wet. It's always miserable. So over there, you just, you're just you sitting in these rocks in the middle of a river with all these people who you've just met, but yet they're your best friends and you know they're going to be your best friends for the rest of your fucking life. And it's sunny and you're having drinks. And it's, it's unbelievable. Skinner's Falls, I would say, is my favorite place in the world. I have a little really? you know, in Google Maps. The, yeah, you know the Google Maps, you have a little heart. You can save your favorite places as a little heart. Yeah. Yeah, there's a little that, heart above Skinner's Falls. That's I love a, it that much that's more. A, a bit like you said earlier on. That's a bold statement, that dude. Sk- yeah. out, out, everywhere you've been to in the world, and bear in mind, we've done yeah. the California trip, we've done this, that, and the other. Skinner's Falls, mm-hmm. this little place in on the border between New York and Pennsylvania, and this little yeah, river yeah, yeah. and these rocks, that's by far, by far your favourite place. Yeah, it is my favourite place. Now, it's something that has to be said. I think if I went, say I went to Skinner's Falls right now and I was by myself, and I walked down there. I don't think it would be the same. You know, I think it would have to be. I think it would have to be in that camp setting, one hundred percent. Like I remember being there one day, and we were all drinking. I was just lying on the rocks and looking up, man. And you know, it's surrounded by forest all around it. And like these two eagles just came flying out of the forest, man. And I, I remember lying there thinking, "Am I dreaming? Is it, am I dreaming? Or is this actually 
fucking happening? Is there two eagles <laughs> flying above me right now? <laughs> Obviously, after the whole California trip, you actually came to visit me at university at Syracuse. Um, yes, you and, did. And uh, for anyone that doesn't know who's listening, Syracuse's colors are a bright orange and blue. So you come over and Mason buy, I, I, I gave Mason a Syracuse sweatshirt. Steph, I took to buy a Syracuse clothes because, of course, I took, I took all of y'all to a tailgate. Because uh, yeah, any, yeah, any, any American that wants to come to uni wants to go to a uni party and a uni bar and a tailgate. So yeah. we're in the store and we're looking at all these orange clothes and you just look lost. And I'm like, you need to buy some orange. And you're like, I can't. And I'm like, why? And you're like, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yes, just say orange is my favorite color. <laughs> and luckily we found like one green Syracuse top that had a four leaf clover on it. And yeah. we all turned to you and we're like, we, it was made for you. <laughs> this was yeah, your exactly. shirt. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And it was on discount as well. And by that stage, <laughs> we had been away for three months. We had no money left. So it was on discount. <laughs> and I remember it was really, especially really fucking funny when we actually got to the football game. Mason, we'll tell you about the football game later. You must it. Um, we <laughs> got to the football game. Thanks for the memory. <laughs> but I was sitting... Me and me and Aoife had gotten tickets. Jackie got us tickets, and you yeah. managed to sneak us onto the the student area as well. But then yeah. uh, the team, their end zone was back over where we had seats. So I went back over by myself and used to take pictures. No, you could spot me from the other side of the stadium because I was the only person wearing green. And I suppose this, <laughs> I suppose this wonderful accent gave it away as well. <laughs> Holy shit! And then, of course. Um, at the at the tailgate, I, I want to know what your sort of first impression was because it was a whole sea of students. Everyone was getting sloshed in this parking lot. And we came up with uh these big bottles of vodka and this big thing yep. of orange soda. And I'm, <laughs> don't, I just don't remind me, please. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I, I handed But what was your first reaction of like this whole scene and just chugging from bottles and everything? Well, Fucking hell, man. Like I was saying earlier, it was always a dream of mine to come over. You literally made my American dream come true. And I have to thank <laughs> you for that because you were talking about, you said, come, I'm at Syracuse. It's a student town or a university town in New York. You know, I was all, oh, that's where we ended up. We should finish there. It was absolutely unbelievable, man. And, you know, the fact that, you know, when the season's on and the college football game is going on, the fact that that happens every Saturday, you know, for something yeah. like that, they happen here. You might maybe have it twice a year at a, a nice festival and it's a quiet town, you know. But the fact that that happens every Saturday during the day, it just blows my mind that that's a way of life, you know. Right. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And the only difference between the vodka thing is I pour some of the lemonade out and I pour my vodka into the bottle. And you just, you're a dirty bastard and you drink the vodka and then mix the soda with it. <laughs> we, of course, are talking about the memories of Syracuse. And we are reminiscing on the good side of it, but one part, maybe not your finest hour, Damien. Um, can you remember the little, can you, <laughs> can you remember the little scrap we got into? That wasn't my finest moment. That was my favorite moment. <laughs> <laughs> of he, course I remember that. Man. People ask him what his favorite memory is of Syracuse. And he goes, I beat the crap out of like five frat guys by myself. <laughs> Oh, come on, man. Every American movie you watch, you know, there's boys at frat parties and there's always a fucking fight. There's always a fight. <laughs> and I, I basically got to slap a cocky-ass frat boy in the fucking nose. And it was amazing. Because um, I remember he was giving you a lot of shit, Mason. He was. Yeah, he and was. I could see you getting angry, you know. Oh, would you like a little pot of tea? You know, trying to do a yeah, shit. Really, he's really taking, yeah, he's really taking the mick out of the accent. Yeah, he was really taking the piss. And I could see it was starting to annoy you. He was being a cunt. It was having four of his mates. And I went, you know what, Damien, just... Don't do anything, man. Don't do anything. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. He'll fuck off in a second and that'll be it. And then he turned around and called me girlfriend a leprechaun. And I went, <laughs> okay. So I, I don't even know what happened. I just fucking, I just remember connecting with his face and I got two good slaps on before the four guys jumped on me. <laughs> oh, it was, it, it was a picture. It was like, you like took it, you took the comment and you turned around to Aoife and you're just looking at her. And I thought that was done. I thought that you were ignoring her, uh, ignoring them. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I it's the biggest windup I've ever seen in my life. Oh, just connecting right straight hurt, to this guy's face. Do you know what the nicest moment about was? Because obviously you remember how cocky that guy was, man. Do you remember the look on his face after I connected with him? <laughs> I can't. Do you remember <laughs> that change of character straight away, man? And then oh, yeah. I got another one on, and that's when his friends completely 
huddled me from the side. They like speared me from the side. Oh yeah. <laughs> Going back to infamous camp memories, and uh, our good old friend Coach brought this up on his episode of the uh, podcast. And here was, we go. <laughs> and, <laughs> he knows exactly. Uh, what here we go. Here we go. Um, but. I, I never forget this moment when I heard it for the first time and people didn't know about it, but Damien, you can sing. And what, I'll say that again. You can fucking sing, mate. Honestly. That's very, that's very questionable. And I would say, where is your fucking proof, Mason? Where is your fucking proof? <laughs> oh, okay. We will look it up. Whoa, we will play whoa. it back right now. <laughs> yeah, guys, swear to God, man. If you play, you play it back right now, I'll fly to Syracuse. <laughs> That'll be it, man. <laughs> it looks like I will play it back. I want you to fly to Syracuse. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I should watch my wife then. I should watch my wife. <laughs> I have dabbled in a bit of singing, yes. Just a little bit. Then it comes down to arguably for me one of the most funniest, memorable moments of my of my life of camp history. And it was, was you it? performing Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, in the camp? Yeah. And that was yeah. just, that moment was electric. <laughs> yeah, first of all, um, how I did not break my ankle jumping off that stage, <laughs> I will never understand, man. But you have to remember as well, it was a good moment for the staff, but the kids are all really young, man. They don't know what the fuck Bohemian Rhapsody is. <laughs> and I remember, I just remember seeing the some of the kids' faces, man. They were, you know, the eyes were open, they were really shocked. <laughs> <laughs> thinking back now, I don't know how they managed to get me up and do that especially yeah, when I wasn't drinking and you know, you know let's, let's, let's talk about Coach for a minute okay Coach is a, he's a wonderful guy I would call him he's one of my best friends I absolutely love him but he's one of them guys that always rang when uh, camp ended you know even though he can't tell the fucking time difference because he always rings at 4 o'clock in the morning but we'll not get <laughs> into that now so his, uh, his stories are about you know like I remember him talking about us in New York and he said he, he went into this karaoke bar in New York and Damien was with him and I was all this didn't fucking happen now I'm listening to the podcast I'm down the stairs I'm cleaning my dishes I'm all this didn't happen he's talking shit, man what is it I can't wait to get on this podcast and call him out and he starts yeah and he goes up to the bar and he gets and then after a while it clicked man it was all oh shit this did happen <laughs> <laughs> this fucking did happen now the, <laughs> the details might have been a bit sketch they might have been uh, exaggerated slightly but he's right that did happen I completely forgot about that man completely because I don't know how me and him ended up in the karaoke bar because we were out as a big group you know, so how did me and him end up in a karaoke bar on our own I don't know I would need to ask him about it but... and also <laughs> he's acting the big man uh, talking about drinking me out under the table do you remember this yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and then in the same sentence, he talks about him being passed out. <laughs> I never passed out, Coach. I don't remember passing out once. Yeah, Damien, keeping with the, the singing theme then, everyone was okay. blown away by you singing at camp. But you've done a little bit, even though you do play guitar, you, you know, you're in a band and everything, and we'll go on to that later. Um, you actually went on a talent show to do singing, right? Yes, I did. And I've been burying that for the last uh, five years. <laughs> <laughs> every time every time someone brings it up I just act like it never happened <laughs> how come it's great well I, I, I don't know don't get me wrong it's just, I, I'm just that type of person man you know I you know that I went on it was a show called Let It Shine it was uh, Gary Bardo so I'm lying in Tenerife with FIFA and you know you, well, you know I'm a singer now but I'm more of a rock singer and uh, I get this phone call, man, and it's from a, a UK number. And I get the phone call, and be like, so, "Hi, Damien. How are you? My name's blah blah blah. Um, we're doing a talent show for uh, the next, the next boy band or something like that." They went, "All right, lad," and I hung up a phone. There's a phone <laughs> call, and uh, so he rings me back, and he's all, "Damien, I was all right, lad. You know, I'm not boy band material. No, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. It's not a joke. You know, uh, your name's been given this." Um, You've been scouted. We want you to come audition to be in the show. I went, look, man, I'm not, I'm not your type. If it's a boy band you're looking for, he's all, no, no, it's a musical, blah, blah, blah. So it went on and on. And then I, I said I would do the audition. I got back to Belfast. And I, I was actually really tired that morning. And I wasn't going to go do the audition. But I went and I did it anyway. Next thing I know, they were all, no, we're pitting you on a flight to London. I went to do the callbacks in London. And they went, right, you've made it through to the top 
uh, what was it, sixty or something like that, um, were sent here to Manchester. So that's when it started to get fucking serious. You know, I show up in Manchester and they, they they didn't even let you pick your own song. You know, they they give you a list of songs that they had the rights to and you had to pick one. So I picked one that I thought I knew. And then next thing I know, I'm sitting on the London tubes trying to learn. I knew the melody of it because I heard the song before, but trying to learn the words and the way. And I it, it all it all took off from there. Next thing I know, I'm standing on a stage in front of Yari Barlow and Martin Kemp and Danny Minogue and an absolutely surreal experience. I've never felt that nervous in my life. I've never had that rush of adrenaline in my life you know and it, uh, it compared to nothing else and I, I, you know I, I learned a lot of lessons in there because like I said people think I'm a singer I'm not actually a singer I've never done singing lessons I've never done anything like that if I have to sing in a band or if I sing in a musical it's all about a fun to me but you know they had the best professionals on from all over uh, the UK and Ireland and they actually trained you properly and you know I came out of it definitely a better performer so did did you like get any callbacks or anything after that? Like, did people want more from you or was it just kind of like you went back and you were like, okay, that was it for me? No, well, what happened then was, so when I went out to do the audition in front of Gary Barlow and all that, they had like a star system and you were stood on the 15th star and they give you a vote out of five, eight stars for them. So if you got 15 stars, you were through to the top 40. And uh, I think mine's went up to 16 or something. So that meant I was put into the top 40. I was as shocked as you for top 40 for a boy band fan. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> it's absolutely mental. I shouldn't have been there. Like. Um, so what happened then was they divided the group of guys and they eight. Uh, so there was five bands of eight guys and each each band got paired up with a famous act. So there was like Melanie C from the Spice Gears. There was the Kaiser wow. Chiefs and uh, there was somebody else and someone, someone very well known. If you heard their name, you'd be like, oh, I know who they are. So, they had us in a room, right? The eight guys and they had all the cameras in there and we're all stood there and I'm sitting with all these fucking pretty boys that can really sing and dance and I'm sitting there with long hair and all overweight and dying to sing about a meatloaf, you know? <laughs> and uh, so this was the announcement. They were going to come in and tell us, uh, you know, the, the famous artists that we're going to be singing with, you know? So the, uh, I forget who it was that came in. One of the presenters came in and went, you're going to be singing with Beverly Knight. And everybody went crazy. All the other seven guys went crazy. So I went off, oh, fuck, man, I'm on camera. So I started pretending to jump up and down and smile. <laughs> like I knew what was going on, man. <laughs> the camera turned off, I turned around, man. Who the fuck is Beverly Knight, man? <laughs> I have no idea. No idea. <laughs> <laughs> Got a little boom in my big trunk Gonna open up the doors and turn it up Gonna stop my boots in the Georgia mud Gonna watch you make me fall in love Get it out of here Get up on my hood of my daddy's tractor Up on the toolbox, up it, the don't toolbox it don't matter <laughs> Down on the tailgate Girl, I can't wait Girl, to, I watch can't wait. to watch thing. you do your thing Chicken for the young, the young bucks, bucks singing in the honky tonks For the rednecks <laughs> rocking to the break of dawn DJ's ringing that country song Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> It's great because we're for the we're birds, do it for the biddies, do it for the catfish, swimming <laughs> down deep in the creek, for the crickets and the critters and the squirrels, shake it to the moon, shake it, shake for, it for, the for the moon, my girl. shake it for my girl, come on. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's I can't fucking cut that class. <laughs> Man, you can't cut that out. <laughs> I'm keeping that in. That's staying in. Hang on a minute, we're on a break, we're not fucking recording, are we? <laughs> no, we are recording, it's the whole thing's recorded, don't worry. Oh, for fuck's sake, no. Edit it out, cancel, cancel. <laughs> Alright guys, we're back here on Shelter Island, the podcast. It is your favorite time of the week. We are doing Beer of the Week. So we are here with our good friend Damien. And uh, of course, he said before he's more of a vodka and a non-beer drinker. So uh, we've kind of turned our way a little bit away from beer this week. And we are actually trying uh, my favorite. What are we trying, Damien? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked, Haimo. What we are trying this week is uh, the all-American favorite, White Claw. Hell yeah. Mm. So for those of you that don't know, uh, White Claw is a alcoholic seltzer. Um, still 5%, but it comes in a uh, hell of a lot of flavors. Um, Mason, you've actually never had one of these before. 
I haven't, no. It's the first time for everything. So um, So this is a, a world premiere taste test. We'll get a true score out of Mason this week. Yeah, I'm I'm quite nervous. I'm quite nervous to try it. So it's nothing it's, to be nervous, man. <laughs> it's just like fizzy water. Is that it? Yeah. Basically, yeah. It's basically nothing. fuzzy water with a lot of flavor. So that's that's why they're so good. Um, you, you'd be drinking them. Like the first time I drank them was in Memphis, Tennessee, and they kept bringing down buckets of this shit. And I just thought it was fuzzy water. Next thing, everybody was blittered. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> Completely. We had our tops off and we were playing volleyball in the back of the bar. You know, that this it's very light, it's very refreshing, and uh, it's surprising how you drunk you get off. Well, what White Claw actually just released, I'll, I'll have to show you guys. They released um, tall boy cans and they released oh, no them. Way. They released them in eight percent. Oh wow! So now there's that is, that is very dangerous. Yeah, eight percent tall dangerous. boy white claws are coming out. I thought four locos are bad, but that that's four locos. Four, four locos are worse. Four four locos are yeah, yeah, four locos yeah. are bad, man. Four yeah, locos are exactly, bad. Exactly, but that's why I think them them seltzers eight percent that wouldn't taste like booze. That's why they're dangerous. Oh yeah. Let's uh let, let's crack these open and talk about what flavors we have. Okay. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers, guys. It might be worth adding as well that there's only 95 calories in the can. So on like beer, yeah. you don't get bigger tits if you drink a wreck of them. <laughs> know what I mean? So if you're so, watching your weight. So uh what flavors do you guys have? Because of course they come in different flavors. I went for mango. Mason? Bye. I have a bit of a confession to make. Oh, okay. shit. They didn't get them? No. I, hear me out. So we, we spoke earlier on today about trying to get some white claws. And you said, oh, um, Tesco's do them, whatever, blah, 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 blah. I haven't really got a Tesco's right near me. Um, so I went to the gym and I went to the Morrison's next to it. And I looked on the Morrison's website before I went. And they said they sold white claw. I was like, oh, nice one. Fantastic. Went in there. Up and down the aisles like an absolute mong. Couldn't find them anywhere. I was like, are you kidding me? And I looked on the ready-to-drink section where they normally would be. They have Smyrna Fices. They have Baby Sham. They had everything there apart from any seltzers. I was like, for fuck's sake. Like, really, now of all times? And then literally on the end of the aisle, I saw these cans that said hard seltzer on it. So I've not quite got a white claw. I've got a threefold. Oh, what the oh, fuck that- is that? It's not the fucking same, Mason. It's, it's not the same. Well, look, that's the best I could get. That's the best I could get. Well, so, at least you made the effort. At exactly. least you made the effort. It, it's but hey, have you got have you got have you got Amazon Prime? Because I got I a shitload of them in this fridge here. Maybe if I sent them to Amazon now, you could have them in the next twenty five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Give them a bell. Smuggle out of the <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've got so, the uh, a red berries flavor and it's actually interesting it's really nice it doesn't taste like booze at all does it i have uh i don't know if d i don't know if you have these where you are but i have tangerine oh that sounds lovely man mm. it's lovely yeah it's can like, i point out something as well you said yours are five percent and i've just seen it in your camp ours are 4.5 <laughs> so they've given the americans the stronger ones Mine's only four percent. So they've got they've got they've got all the weaker beers, but they've got the strongest seltzer. Eh? Something to be proud of, Hamel. Something to be proud of. Give us your give us your rating of your uh, weaker pseudo white claw. Weaker pseudo white claw. I'm going to have to give it a solid nine point five, man. I'm going wow. to write up there. It's a very high rating, man. Wow. Okay. It's a very high. It's a very high written because it's an all rounder. I haven't seen one person who doesn't enjoy them. You know, they're just they're 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 perfect. They're perfect for every occasion. Damn. And of course, it had to be a point five because uh, you're a little weaker than mine here. Yeah. Yeah. Just point five weaker than you, Hamel. Does that mean yours <laughs> is a ten? Uh, if just I just like I yourself, had... Hamel. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> oh. uh, it... If I, if I had to top you, I guess I would give it a 10, but I, I can't give it a 10 because I've had better things than White Claw. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll match you with a 9.5 on my Tangerine White Claw. Yeah, nice one. Nice right. one. I agree with it because there is, there is things better out there. Well, but in terms of beer, it's hard. It's hard for me because I don't, I don't like beer. I think it's like eating a Sunday dinner. It makes me groggy and tired as we're vodka and White Claw. <laughs> Send me through the roof. Yeah. 
So Mason, what do you what do you rate your uh, fake seltzer? All right, all right. I could go quite literally, quite literal threefold with it and go for a nine point yeah. five as well. Um, uh, I thought you were going to say three. <laughs> it's better than a three. I, I'd give it. I'd give this an eight because it's. Um, I haven't got the real thing, but I haven't tried all the other flavors yet. So for a, for a start off though, it's very good. Right then, folks, we are back on Shelter Island with our special guest this week, Damien Kivlahan. And he just keeps getting cooler and cooler. And whenever I've mentioned him to anyone, I have always... <laughs> you're laughing there, Dee. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I have no idea what you're about to say, Mason, but it sounds like it's going to be good. <laughs> oh, you bet you, mate. Don't you worry about that. But um, <laughs> what I say to everybody about Damien is... He is one of my friends and he worked or has worked for Game of Thrones. And that's one of the biggest TV shows arguably ever. How on earth did you get onto that? I mean, you're very talented, of course, but Game of Thrones, that's huge. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I remember I was, uh, I was just very lucky to get on there. Um, I did fireworks displays when I was younger. So we have the big fireworks display. Lucky enough, my father's friend ran the fireworks company that does all the fireworks displays around Ireland, you know, at Halloween and New Year's Eve and small gatherings and things. So I got into doing pyro when I was at a very young age. And um, I kept doing that for years, but my father actually jumped on the movies. And the movie industry was pretty small in Belfast at the time, in the north. And uh, he'd done all these small movies and eventually this show came along called Game of Thrones. And we didn't know what it was. He didn't know what it was, but he got the job. And uh, uh, I think the special effects crew back then was just three guys. Wow. And um, it was just the special effects crew was three guys for season one, maybe maybe five to two guys in the office as well. And I think by the time we finished on season eight, there was easily between 100 and 150 special effects people on it, you know, over the whole wow. course of the thing. Yeah, wow. the show just grew exponentially, you know. And... Uh, once I had done my uh, few tours with the bands and a lot of partying at the age of 24, I finally realized that I wanted a career. And because of my background in the pyro, I was able to get a job with the special effects department. Um, not straight on the special effects. I was actually a snowman for the first two years. <laughs> <laughs> right. That probably sounds mad to everybody out there that I spent the first two years of my Game of Thrones career as a snowman. But that is that is 100% true. My job was to make it look like it was snowing. You know, with winter coming and all, there was a lot of fucking snow. Yeah. I, I thought mean, when you said snowman, I thought you were an actual snowman. You're dressed up as a snowman. No, man. <laughs> like standing there. <laughs> no, we made it look like it was snowing. We do the fallen snow. We dress the sets with like a, it's basically like a paper, you know? So what, when you first joined the show, did did your friends and family like know what it was or was it still kind of small at that point? Nobody really knew what it was. Yeah, no, it took off in season two. Um, after it took off in season two, the whole world knew what it was, man. It was massive. You know, I didn't join special effects until season five, but it was actually an extra in season two for a long time. It was a Lannister guard. And, so can um, you actually be seen like within episodes then? Yeah, yeah, man. I had a speaking role in Game of Thrones on season two. No. What? Yeah, <laughs> what? No. Now, before you go fucking looking for it, because believe me, I've gone looking for it. It's not there. Um, I was on set one night and the director, Neil Marshall, we were like the Lannister guards. So we were like the guys that had the whole armor from head to toe. And there was 20 of us and he lined us all up and he made us shout the same thing. You know, we all had to shout battery and ram at the top of our lungs and he made it all the 20 guys do it. And then he picked three of us out and I was one of the three. And then he made the first guy do it. The second guy was the third guy. I shouted and I give it the all, you know, battery ram. No, I really, I really fucking went for it. Like my life depended on it. <laughs> and they just went, he just tapped me with his radio and walked away and didn't say nothing. Next thing I know, there was makeup artists all around me, hair artists, people like this, people cleaning my armor down and all. And they just stood me on this bastion. And they right, Damien, we want you to do exactly what you've done before. You're going to look over the edge. And uh, I don't know if you remember Game of Thrones, it was the Battle of the Blackwater. If they look over the edge, you see them bringing the bathroom around to the gate, and it's your job. You have to let the whole fucking castle know, Damien. If you don't let the whole castle know, they're all going to die. I was like, okay. <laughs> I got this, man. I got this. So you can imagine a Lannister guard with an Irish accent. 
screaming battering ram at the top of his lungs, you know. <laughs> so that that was it. That's how I got the speaking role. And um, so the whole family knew about it. All my friends knew about it. You know, I couldn't contain myself. I got a speaking role in Game of Thrones. So we were all gathered around the TV watching it. And the bastards cut it out of the show, man. No. <laughs> I shit you not, man. That 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 uh, that uh, that noise of me shouting bathroom ram in my best Irish accent is lying on the editing room floor in LA somewhere, man. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was heartbreaking, but then again, it was a good experience. I'm gonna go back to that one. <laughs> so then, uh, obviously. You told all your friends and your family that you had a speaking role and you were all around the TV. Were, yeah. Like, were you able to sort of spill beans about some things or was it very tight-lipped and like, like how, how did that feel to sort of know what was happening on the show before it actually aired? Well, it's, uh, that's basically my whole life now, man. I know what's going to happen <laughs> on anything I work on before anybody else. Now, but back then on season two, when I was just an extra, we could get away with more. You know, it wasn't as strict on us. We didn't really see what was going on. We know who died because we've seen it in the battle and stuff, but nowadays we have to sign NDAs. So basically if I talk about it on Facebook or social media or podcasts, <laughs> I could uh, lose my job. Even though even though the show's finished now and it's all aired, you can still get in trouble for that shit. But it yeah. is the, the worst one. So when I did special effects was when Jon Snow dies in season five. And when we did season six, um, that was all anybody cared about. It seemed like that was all anybody cared about in the whole world. Is he actually dead? Is the Lord Commander dead? Is he dead? And I mean, I got hounded by friends, family, everywhere, man. I went on tour with uh, Ripper Owens, and everywhere we went, they seen the Game of Thrones jacket. Is he dead? Is he alive? Is he dead? Is he alive? Man, it fried me here. That's basically what it's like. You have to keep that information. And you want to share it, but you don't want to spoil it for people later. That's crazy. So you joined the special effects team, and, or you started doing the special effects within season five, you said. What was yeah. the coolest thing you had to do? Because, you know, you must be doing some all sorts of different kind of stuff. Probably the coolest moment for me on Game of Thrones was um, there's a scene in Battle of the Bastards, which is actually season six. It was a year later. Um, so I'm standing behind a camera, which is the main camera. And we have Jon Snow, Kit Harrington, right in front of the camera. And uh, he's standing, he's got a sword right beside him and he's standing there at the front of the, so his army's behind him and he sees this other army coming towards him. And we literally, no, everybody said this was VFX. They didn't think it was real. I can guarantee you right now it was 100% real, man. We had a wall of horses, stuntmen on horses and swords running right fucking through us, man. So he's sitting there and it's a scene and he's got the sword and he's screaming, ah, so I'm behind him with a tiny smoke machine. And I got this little wafter and I wafted the smoke underneath him. And he's screaming like he's in the battle. Next thing I know, I'm fucking screaming like I'm in the battle. Ah, there's horses running beside me. They had a guy attached their rope. He fucking backflips off his horse. Nearly hits me in the fist. There's muck. There's guys with little shit kickers. It's uh, blew a blood and muck and air. And it's hitting me in the fist. And that was that has to be the craziest moment of my career to this point. It was, <laughs> it was like you were really in the battle. It was like you were really there. And like when you see advertisements or you know short clips of Game of Thrones, it's always that scene with him standing with the wall of horses running towards him. And I was right there with a little smoke machine. <laughs> what was it like winning an Emmy? Ooh. <laughs> what do you mean these ones here? <laughs> <laughs> no, there's two muss in there. There's two muss in. Um, yeah, it, it's, you know, for me growing up, you know, I wasn't really an achiever. I always wanted a performer. I, I didn't really do well in school. So for me to get a certificate that says, you know, primetime MA awards on it with my name on it was something to be very, very proud of. Now, we obviously don't get the trophy. My boss gets the trophy. It's basically like a little certificate that says, here, you took part. You had your little tiny smoke machine behind Jon Snow. Well done. Well done. Here's a pat on the back. You know, but I it, it makes it all worth it because... You know, it's it's not as glamorous as everybody thinks. Everybody thinks, you know, you work in the film industry, you work with famous people every day, you do this, you do that. Oh, you must have a great life. And yet I do love my job, you know, but it is very difficult. You know, it's on sociable hours, it's raining all the time, you're out in the elements, you're out working at nighttime, you know, there's there's all that as well. So we things like that, um, you know, it's it's definitely appreciated. I have a controversial question. Yeah. How do you ask me how how do you feel about how it ended? 
Okay. Um, oh, this is a hard one because it's it's divided <laughs> opinions between fans and crew alike. Because I know a lot of crew. We we paid a lot of work on the season eight. Now I didn't know anything about the scripts. I didn't know what the story was. They kept that very secret. In fact, they actually filmed secret endings in front of us, so none of the crew would know which ending was real. That actually fucking wow. happened. Um, so they kept it very secret. But you know, for me, we. The work that went on it, how hard it was, and how much money they actually spent on it, doing the big battle scenes, and you know, it was, it was a crazy amount of work, and it was a crazy amount of hard hard work. And when it came out, it got a lot of backlash. And if I'm being completely honest, I I would agree with the backlash. I didn't enjoy the last season as much as I thought it would. I thought um, it could have been a lot better. You know, it wasn't everybody's taste, but you know, it, it, it is what it is. You know, if if you think about other TV shows. Um, like there's TV shows that I love and every single one that I love has a bad last season. Dexter. Right. Dexter had a terrible last season. Sons Anarchy was fucking brilliant. It gets better. These get better and better every season. Game of Thrones gets better and better every season. And then the last season is always terrible. And you know, what, what do you do? How do you end the show like that? How do you end the show on a high? You know, right. I think the only show that ever got away with it was Breaking Bad. Yeah, <laughs> right. I, I, I agree with you on that one. You know what exactly. I mean? Like they're the only one that I actually really enjoyed the last season. But you know, at the end of the day, People wanted to keep going. So let's obviously spin the conversation around a little bit. Uh, you just got back from a big film trip. Uh, you were in Good. Malta, correct? I was in Malta and then I was in Malta for five weeks and then we went to the Canary Islands. I was in Puerto Ventura, Lanzarote and Tenerife. Nice. So tell us about that. What have you kind of been doing since? Since Game of Thrones? Yeah. Or, what what do your new what are your new projects? What what did you do in Malta? What did you do in the Canary Islands? Right, well, the, that was the last project I've done. I've just started a new project, but that was the one I've been doing for uh, the last year and a half. I started uh, the foundation on uh, October two thousand and nine. So the foundation is a new sci-fi TV show that Apple TV are coming out with, and it's based on a trilogy of books from the fifties by Isaac Asimov. Uh, he's the same guy that wrote iRobot and stuff like that but apparently the foundation is where Star Wars got their inspiration from and all these other different sci-fi's all took their inspiration from this show but it's been a very very difficult show to make into a TV series because if you read the books you probably haven't read the books I read the books um, you know the first three chapters are like these characters and then the next chapter is 100 years later and then the next chapter after that jumps to 500 years later. So it's very hard to turn on the TV show or a movie because it jumps it jumps forward all the time and it jumps back. Right. But Apple TV have put a lot on this. And uh, we were we were filming that down in Limerick, Ireland, and Iceland for the first six months. And then COVID hit. And then we had six months off. And then we went back. And when we went back, we did another three months in Limerick. So And then we went off to Malta and the Canary Islands. Now, it's the longest show I've ever worked on. If you think in terms of Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones, I worked for one whole year on it. And this one, you know, excluding lockdown, lasted for one whole year. And it's only its first season. So it's massive. It's big wow. budget. You know, there's a lot went on it. I think it could, it has the potential to be really, really big as well. How many episodes is it? have you filmed? Ten, ten episodes. There's going to be yeah. ten episodes. So I think what's happening here is Apple TV. Uh, they seem to have a lot of big TV shows being uh, made all around the world at the minute. Because they're trying to compete with Netflix and they're trying to compete with right. Amazon Prime, so they're they're pumping all their money on the big budget TV shows. What was sort of your favorite place to film the Foundation? Ooh, that that is a hard one because um, you know we we were lucky enough that with the Foundation I was in Ireland, which is uh, has a beauty in its own way. Then we went to Iceland, and then we went to Malta and the Canary Islands. So every location was really unique in its own way. Port Aventura was my favorite place to be because it was lovely it was nice and hot and all but it was probably the worst location because it was a desert every time we were out shooting we were just getting sandstorms and it was hot and they'd be coming home they'd be coming home and there'd be sand behind your eyeballs and everything I swear but... <laughs> you make it look glamorous in your Facebook posts when you were doing yoga and you were hanging out with people and you know <laughs> yoga? where was I doing fucking yoga? what Facebook post were you looking at? <laughs> I think you mean karate Oh, okay. Sorry, Kar karate. Karate. I know. Right. Right. What happened oh, when you watch Cobra King? Hey, you have to get a karate teacher. <laughs> um, okay, so then obviously, while we're talking about your 
uh, new stuff and what you've been doing lately. Uh, obviously, you're a multifaceted man. You do more than just film production and stuff. Uh, you also are in a band. Um, so, I am in a band. So tell Is there us a little bit. Of... You don't do, Damien. Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> you do well, everything. I, I, well, I don't drink beer. Other than that, I know. We could probably so, smash out a few other things. <laughs> so this this obviously isn't a boy band, uh, like you were talking about earlier. So uh, tell us a little bit about Sugar Wolf. Uh, Sugar Wolf is a project that actually came up a few years ago. Um, it started out as a band called Making Monsters. It was a band I started years ago, years and years ago with three friends of mine. And then I left because I was pursuing my acting career and my special effects career. You know, it wasn't really for me. And then I joined them later on in life when um, they were looking for a guitar player. So for all our listeners out there, uh, what kind of music do you guys write? What kind of what are your gigs like? What's the vibe like of your band? What 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 is your role? Because obviously you said you want to step back from singing and everything. So what is your role? Well, I'm not the singer in the band. I play guitar, and uh, it's a lot lighter than the stuff I've always grown up doing. I've always grown up and doing like the heavy metal stuff, thrash metal, you know, rock and roll. This is more uh, alternative rock, you know. So there's a lot of back and tracks, and there's something stuff. And uh, we're also female fronted. We've got an amazing uh, front woman called Emma Gallagher. She's absolutely fantastic. So it's one of them bands that uh, we. Do you have a mix of everything going on there? So there's something in there for everybody. You know, we have our poppy songs, we have our heavy songs. And uh, when it comes, like I said, it is all about live performance for us. We, we, you know, we take pride in our, our live performances, very energetic and very fun to be at and everybody can get involved, you know. Did you, do you miss that? Yes, I do. I absolutely miss it, man. I miss being on stage so much because obviously, and you know, a lot of industries got hit with this whole pandemic thing and uh, the arts got it really bad. Uh, Definitely, you know, uh, theatre shows went out, live gigs went out, festivals went out, you know, which is, you know, for an artist as well, like I'm lucky enough, I have a a job apart from just doing, but I know some full-time musicians, full-time actors that are really, really struggling because everything's gone down. So the moment that we all open up and everybody's getting back on stage and doing what they love and getting that adrenaline that they do it for, the sooner the better. Well, I, for one, definitely want to turn up to a Sugar Wolf gig then. Uh, hi, Mo, you might have to try and book something to try and get your way over because you do have to come to St. Paddy's Day after all. So maybe we can see a Sugar yeah. Wolf, a Sugar Wolf uh, gig then. Uh, just the name Absolutely. itself then, Damien. Sugar Wolf, uh, who, who came up with the name? What, what does it originate from? Well, it's a fucking great story of how we came up with the name, right? So the band were together in Belfast and they were all together in a room and they were all throwing ideas apart like that. And I was sitting in a hotel room in Salou with Aoife getting absolutely off my tits, so I have no idea how they came up with the name. <laughs> you just came to practice one day and they just start calling themselves something else and you're like, no, oh, no. <laughs> right. They just text me being all, here, lad, our name's Sugar Wolf. I was all, here, that's class, man. That's no problem, I'm already there. So what, what, what is it like, what is it like kind of balancing those two lives? Obviously you have the the, the life where you're on set and you're doing that part and then all of a sudden you have to find time to, I mean, now after the pandemic, you're going to have to find time to practice with your band and have shows and everything. So how is it like sort of balancing those two realms? It is very fucking difficult. <laughs> Let me just put it that way. Because um, I'll give you an example. When I, when I was talking about starting the foundation, we were in Iceland. I had a fly back from Iceland to play a show. And then wow. go into the recording studio and then go back to work in Ireland, you know. So, and then there was one time I had a gig, I had a rush from work, get on a flight from London, fly the whole way to Belfast, get on a bus on a two hour journey up the dairy just to play a show, you know. And then uh, the last big festival we played, Standoff Festival in Ireland, I actually had a fly back from Morocco to play the festival. Wow. So I got on a flight, I got on a flight from Morocco to Belfast, or no, sorry, Morocco to. Gatwick Airport. I got a driver to take me from Gatwick to Heathrow Airport, and I flew from Heathrow to Belfast City Airport. And the band picked me up, drove me to a band practice, and they took me home. And I slept for a few hours, and then I had to drive to the festival the next morning. You know, so oh, that's the full rock and roll lifestyle, that isn't it? Well, hey, well, if that's a rock and roll lifestyle, I want nothing to fucking do with me. Since that is, <laughs> <laughs> it's not as glamorous as I think, man. That's a lot of flights and a lot of traveling, and then you know I have to go straight back to work then. So. It's one of them things, man. You do, you do it because you love it. You know, right. you don't do it for the money or anything. That's, you know, it's worth putting the effort in. It's worth 
it's worth doing all those things if you if you really love doing it. And would right. you ever change it for the world? Absolutely not, man. I've been one of I've, I've been one of them people my whole life. You know, if if I want to do something or I want to try something, give it a go. If it doesn't work out, who the fuck cares? No one's losing sleep over it. You know, at least you've given it a go. It didn't work out, and sometimes it does work out, and then you find something else that you love. And if it doesn't work out, try something else. What have you got to lose? So obviously, like always, guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, it was great having you on, D. Obviously, uh, you, you're you such a multifaceted person. You're great to have on. You obviously just brighten up the day every time you walk into a room. So uh, we really appreciate you coming on <laughs> with us today. Um, it's, been, it, yeah. it's been a while sort of chasing you down and trying to get you on our show. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad you did keep chasing me down. I appreciate it. Uh, it's been great chat with these guys and it's been a lovely, lovely catch up. Thank you very much for having me on, you know, because I've really appreciated the podcast and your show. You're doing a wonderful thing and I'm very glad to be a part of it. Thank you very much. Thank you, man. Thank you do, much. do you have any sort of last words or last quotes or anything for us today? Uh, I did know this was going. This was coming, I'll be honest. And <laughs> I, I honestly don't know what I say, but it's, it's you know, my quote, my quote of the week has to be, Dream it into your reality, you know. Yeah. Dream it into your fucking reality. You know, you hear people saying all the time, you know, oh, I would love to do this. I wish I could do that. If only I could do this. Oh, you're lucky you do this. Fuck that, man. You're the only person holding yourself back is you. You know what I mean? You're literally your own worst enemy. So if you want to do something, if you want to lose weight, you know, book your gym membership. Just go for it. Throw yourself on the deep end. Learn If you want to go live in Australia, sell your shitty car, man. You know, sell your shitty car, buy the plane ticket, go on. The rest will fall into place. You know, right. if you can think about it, you can do it. There is someone else out there that has already done it and they're successful at it. So why can't you do it? You know, some people have better opportunities. Yes. That just means you need to work a little harder. So dream it on to your reality. I think those are perfect words to kind of end it. Uh, Mason, do you have any other sort of closing out words? Uh, not not really, no, hi, no. Um, it's just been fantastic speaking to you, D. Uh, again, it's been in the pipeline for a while. It's finally good to have you on, and you have so so many memories to talk about. We could probably do another podcast with you to talk about. I it. think we could, man, because there's so many, there's so much stuff we didn't even cover. Exactly. You know, there's, there's always a part two. Let us know if you like a part two. But yeah, yeah. Uh, again, thanks for the support on the last few episodes. It's been absolutely mind blowing to hear. And yeah, I'm an avid fan. I'm an avid fan. <laughs> so yeah, uh, obviously yeah obviously follow us on our socials and uh, keep looking out for some cool projects that we have coming up boom we're boom. done that, are we done yeah that was great done. I have, that was fucking I have great. absolutely no fucking idea what we just talked about the last two hours man 